it's absolutely stunning that somebody possibly got away with a crime like this and then did it again. They were trying to pin something on him that he had nothing to do with. Something triggered in her where she finally saw the light and she knows what he did. You know what I'm saying? And she talked about it. And she probably told the wrong people. Last season on Michigan Crime Stories, we told you the story of Gregory Agnew, how his estranged wife turned up dead, and how that death began to unravel the mystery surrounding the disappearance of a woman 25 years ago. We told you how quiet police have been on the cases, and how there were off-the-record details we couldn't share yet. That all changed last month. In May 2019, police submitted a 248-page court filing connected to the Martha Agnew murder case. It shed new light on Martha Agnew's connection to the disappearance of her friend, Tammy Niver. This is Michigan Crime Stories. Michigan Crime Stories is a podcast that explores murder, mysteries, and mayhem in the Mitten State. Criminal behavior has always enthralled us. It's when societies determine what is and isn't allowed. We assume heinous crimes are committed by monsters, individuals we dehumanize in an effort to make sense of their deeds. Their victims sometimes seem distant, just faded names in a passing headline. But the terrifying truth is that crimes are committed by ordinary people, just like you and me. And many of those crimes happen right in our own backyards. My name is Gus Burns. My name is Darcy Moran. We're reporters for MLive.com and your hosts for Michigan Crime Stories. This episode is titled The Informant. This is Gus Burns, your co-host for Michigan Crime Stories, and I am sitting here with Darcy Moran, who reported extensively on this story going back about a year now. And if you're listening, I would first recommend that you go back and listen to a four-part series of the podcast from last season called The Cold Case uh, before you listen to what you're going to hear today, which is going to be some updates as well as some recapping of what what Darcy has done over the last year. Darcy, to start off, can you kind of talk us through a summary of this case and how we got to where we are today, especially with your reporting on it? Yeah, so it's been a long time coming. This is a case where we had a woman turn up dead, uh, Martha Agnew, and for us it kind of helped us start to see connections with a 25-year-old disappearance of a woman, Tammy Niver, and the primary connection being that they both dated or married the same man, Gregory Agnew. And so we followed that and really got in-depth with it last season because there's a lot of intricacies to the case. And There were some difficulties, as we noted, that we couldn't explain certain things or there was off-the-record details that we couldn't corroborate. And what's happened recently is police filed this court um, report that had all these police reports in it that really spells out a lot of the work they did 25 years ago and and in the years to come regarding Tammy Niver. And it really is in-depth and answers a lot of questions for us. So you're in the courthouse. You're reviewing the case and you see uh, an addendum to the case that has a scan of 248 pages of documents. So what, what, what comes out of that? What do you learn from looking through that? Well, there's a lot in there. It's very heavy with new information. Probably the most notable that's kind of been the fuzziest, we've always had this idea of the time frame and what the relationships were like and the night was like where Tammy went missing. We knew that Greg Agnew said she had been over to his house and he was the last person to see her alive. 
Um, but we never beforehand had that in Gregory Agnew's own words. And part of what's new in this court filing is an actual transcript from police. It notes that it's uncertified, but it's their transcript of an interview with Gregory Agnew um, just days after her disappearance. And he, I believe from your reporting, said that things were fine and they actually had sexual intercourse the night that she came over and they broke up. But then there was some other information that the police got also about that. So he had said that in the days preceding her disappearance, that things were good, that they had broken up. But he said that that was his choice. He was tired of her jealousy and, you know, always yelling at him about him talking to women, even though he didn't do anything. He wanted to end it. Um, But she wanted to be the one to move out. And he said everything was very cordial. And then we get to the day of the disappearance, and he talks about, you know, him going to her work at a dry cleaners multiple times. There's this weird exchange where she apparently says, like, this guy's been calling me on the phone, and he, like, hands the phone off. We get down to that night, and, yeah, we know that a friend loaned the car. I know previous and other episodes, family had said that that was Martha Agnew's family car, Police reports say it was a friend. A friend gave the car to Tammy, and she goes over to her formerly shared apartment with Greg Agnew, and it's very cordial. By his description, she comes in. She's got, like, a Diet Pepsi with her and some cigarettes, and she's saying, do you have any beer? Should we go pick up beer? And they have a Corona. He is a Colt 45, I think. And um, they have some food, and they talk, and they have um, some sort of sexual encounter everything was fine. He says, you know, are you going to, if I go to sleep, are you going to be gone by the time I get up? There's this conversation. And there's also a conversation about what's supposed to happen the next day about dropping off the kids that they have one shared kid. And then uh, Tammy has a child from a previous relationship. And so, so who are they with on the night that she goes over to see So they are actually with initially this friend that uh, has the car that she loans to Tammy. The next morning when Tammy is not home, she ends up calling Martha Agnew to watch the kids. And Martha Agnew, as we have noted before, ended up taking custody of them for some time. But the morning where Tammy, it's starting to become known that Tammy's not at home, she's not at work, Martha has the kids and she actually calls police. Um, and Greg actually goes to the police station. But going back briefly to that night, Greg said everything ended, you know, absolutely fine. She decided to go. They had this plan to meet in the morning. And he actually describes with a lot of specificity. He's like, I go to the bathroom. I'm thinking, how long is this going to take? And then I go and look and, you know, she she left and I go and look at the time. And then he explains much later in this kind of very lengthy interview with police, I think it was like 70 pages of transcript, maybe more, maybe less, that he ends up going in the early morning hours to go to a video store. Prior to you going through all these new records, did we know how close Tammy Niver and Martha Agnew were at that time? So we talked a little bit about this last season in that Martha Agnew's family said that they knew Tammy really well. The family even talked about how they would go to each other's kids' birthday parties. So we knew that there was a friendship there and that the Agnew family, um, or excuse me, the, the Waters family, going off Martha's maiden name, knew Tammy. We didn't know the depth, perhaps, of that because what I see in these court filings is there's really a description of a very tight friend group that is Tammy Niver, Martha Agnew, and then this other woman who ended up loaning the car out. 
So it wasn't out of the ordinary that Martha would be watching Tammy's kids. It doesn't sound like it. And actually, the friend who loaned the car is the one that called Martha to watch the kids because she needed to go to work. She didn't have her car. Tammy wasn't home. The kids were there. And she was like, I need to get someone to watch the kids. And that friend actually had said that she didn't think much of it at the time because she just thought... Tammy stayed over at her ex-boyfriend's, you know? Something happened. That's fine. And one of those kids was Gregory Agnew's kids? Yes. There was some reporting on Martha possibly wearing a wire for police at the time? Yeah, so that's another really big part of this. After Tammy Niver goes missing, what becomes relevant in the court documents that have now come out is it says that Martha... Agnew, then Martha McGeorge, actually went to police and offered, suggested that she wear a wire to try and get Gregory Agnew to confess. Did anything come of that? I mean, do we know if if she ever wore one and what she recorded? So there's some different back and forth, and it seems like different people in her life knew about this wire. This is actually when we talk about things that we couldn't say they were off the record last year or on the record, but we didn't feel comfortable reporting. We come down to this wire, which is something that family members had said may have been a thing at some point. I'm not sure what she actually got. There's commentary in these court documents about times where she was telling friends that she was going to wear it. And what actually came, if anything was actually ever recorded, is not clear. What does become clear is before she ever gave police what they needed, she and Gregory Agnew started dating. So we have Tammy Niver, who disappears, and her good friend, Martha Agnew, takes her children for a period of time and then was asked to kind of wear a wire to try to get Gregory Agnew to speak. And then the next thing we know, they have a relationship. Do you know the time frame of all that? So that's where it kind of gets dicey. Like when we talked with family last year, Martha Agnew's family, they suggested it was like several years later. But what we see in these new filings is that friends suggest that it was almost simultaneous, if not a couple weeks differences between the starting of the wearing of the wire and when they start dating. And some friends said that like within a year, they were no longer friends with Martha because that was such a quote-unquote disgusting scenario. So it seems like there's some differences in understanding of when it starts, but what we see from these documents is people suggesting that it was very simultaneous, and then police, or excuse me, prosecutors in their notice that they filed along with these court documents state that when the dating started, the cooperation with police stopped. Another weird thing that happened right after she disappeared or around that time was, was he arrested or something? Or at least there was a call about him crossing a street or something at night? Yeah, so there is this call. So Bragg, as I noted in his interview with police, said that he went to go pick up a video at like early hours in the morning um, and ends up coming out in these court filings is that another police officer ends up getting interviewed related to the Tammy Niver case. And what that uh, officer says is that he actually saw Gregory Agnew around 3.30 a.m. the morning she disappeared and note that he told police that she left his apartment at 2.15 a.m. So we're talking a little bit over an hour later. Gregory Agnew is spotted crossing Washtenaw in the area of Mansfield, which is in between his apartment and where the car was found. And 
he ends up telling this officer, according to the police reports, that he was, I think, visiting a friend, but I, I know he said he was going back to the Cobble Creek apartments where his sister lived, and it's odd in that I don't know if his sister lived there or not, but he did. Was his sister ever interviewed? Not included in what's filed here. I don't know if they were interviewed otherwise, but it's not in these filings. So um, he said that he was out at that time of night getting a video? So in a later interview, he told police that he had gone out trying to pick up a video. But when the officer stops him, he says he's going back to his sister's place. The bottom of his pants are wet and his shoes are wet too. And the officer had actually called dispatch asking if there were any prowlers in the area. And he ends up letting Greg Agnew go. So there was actually notations of his pants and shoes being wet at that time? Yep. So that really sheds a lot of circumstantial questions around the night of the disappearance and the following day. And just to pause you, it becomes interesting, too, in that Greg's like, I know what that looks like. You know, of course, that's where her car was stopped, right where I was looking for a video. And so he acknowledged in this interview with police that that was weird and that that doesn't look good. Tammy disappears in 1993. And then the next significant thing that we knew about prior to this document dump was the uh, arrests in 2014. Do we know more about what happened in that whole time frame? So we don't know a ton, and that's kind of weird, right? Um, but we do know that even in the early 2000s, which is, you know, 10 years after Tammy Niver's disappearance, they were still looking into it. So in the court records, I can see that they were still doing interviews and recording those, and there's transcripts of those. It's other friends and an ex-lover of Greg Agnew's, and one of his friends actually came forward to police with, like, a drawing that he apparently gave to this friend. Just to back up slightly, after Tammy Niver disappeared, Greg Agnew apparently went to go stay with a friend nearby, and... There was a lot of weird interactions that this friend, years later, told police happened, like saying that Greg Agnew was very obsessed with this idea of a psychic because there were psychics involved in the search for Tammy and that he wouldn't leave the house until the date in which the psychics had said she would be found came and passed. And this friend also said that at one point when he couldn't sleep, he like drew this picture that had a picture of a hypodermic needle and the water and a body and a clock and a broken heart and uh, bars and a judge's bench, which is all very odd. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> um, and so he could he couldn't sleep and he drew this picture and then what happened with it? For years, the friend just hung on to it and then actually the friend ended up saying to police that they felt the need to come forward because they kept having Tammy Niver come to them in their dreams and that it kind of encouraged them to go to police and give them this and and talk to them. They they actually, they gave them the information, but the picture is no longer. I have no idea. I would, I would suspect that they do have the picture, just not in these court filings because it says that this friend did give it to them. So I just haven't seen that anywhere. So the record showed that he, there was also an interview with an ex-lover of Agnew's? Yeah, so the uh, police reports show two interviews, actually, with a former girlfriend of Gregory Agnew, and that girlfriend would have come before Tammy and therefore before Martha as well, although she seems to have known 
both Tammy and Martha at various points. This woman actually reported that Uh, She had a really terrible experience with Gregory Agnew, an assault, in which she said she tried to break up with him and that he basically duct taped her down, electrocuted her, and raped her. And so that was part of what um, officials were trying to get into the trial for a jury to consider to show a scheme, a pattern of abusing women. And the Tammy Niver information uh, is going forward and information about different police calls involving Martha Agnew, but this interaction with an ex-girlfriend is not being included. Um, I will say, though, that that ex-girlfriend has said very adamantly in these reports that she believes that Gregory Agnew is responsible for the disappearance of Tammy Niver, and she also talks about some other abuses, how scared Tammy was. Um, She talks about his treatment of children and references duct tape on their mouths and things like that, and uh, says that she's still scared of him. Because prior to this, we didn't have much information about him being abusive or anything. It sounded like you know, he was, he was kind of talked about as being your typical pretty good father, uh, other than maybe one domestic situation that never resulted in anything. So these records actually show that there may have been a pattern of violence behind his facade as a good father. Yeah, and in, in our past podcast uh, recordings for on this topic, we hear primarily that, you know, if there was any violence, it wasn't seen on the surface. Even Tammy's friends that we talked to didn't see that. But in these police reports, we find people that we actually tried to reach out to to get commentary telling a very different story about, you know, Tammy being seen with bruises and black eyes and whatnot, and also having other violent incidents with this ex-girlfriend. And there's this um, discussion about two other police calls involving Martha Agnew, one in which she said he threw a drink in her face and one where he wouldn't leave the house. And the dispatcher actually wrote down that the dispatcher, as you know, always will ask if there's weapons in a home if there's a problem. And in this case, Martha responded that there were, and the dispatcher wrote down a note that someone in the background was yelling that they're loaded. Um, So those two incidents are also going to be allowed in front of a jury. But yeah, there's a lot of more information in here about past allegations of abuse. So what's your feeling on what they're going to present as motive in the Martha Agnew killing? That's a fascinating question in that prosecutors really focused in on this connection between Martha and Tammy and how they described it as the, the nexus of their relationship with Gregory Agnew. What becomes interesting is while we end up learning that police went to Martha just a month before her death when they learned that this divorce proceeding was underway, they went to her and they asked her if she would turn on Greg. And she said no. But what is not noted in the police reports or prosecutor's note here is what I learned from family, which is that during that time in between that conversation with police and when Martha is found dead, she went and told Greg that police had approached her about Tammy Niver's disappearance one more time. And so police never discussed that. Prosecutors never discussed that uh, aspect that Greg knew of that. 
in the filing that they included in this. But what they did note was that there was a history of him struggling to get marital assets and being upset with not getting it. There's references to the struggle over who would have the shared apartment between him and Tammy. The prosecutors are really, sounds like at this time, focusing on two different motives. Um, Do you think one has more strength than the other? I I don't know. I am curious if this part that we know about this conversation that Martha had with Greg about police coming to her right before her death, if that's ever going to get brought up. Because that, to an outsider's view, would seem like a motive, uh, I would think. But police are really focusing on this marital asset uh, part, and I I certainly don't know. I think even more details than this very lengthy um, court report might tell us more. I thought maybe there was even a third motive, and they were sort of um, presenting a pattern of the way he acts when he breaks up with women. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So there's a lot of different aspects here, and that is part of what they're trying to show is that there's a scheme, uh, a common scheme is what they call it, where when he is getting broken up with, he becomes violent and volatile, and things happen to women, bad things. So prosecutors are building up their case against Gregory, um, part of it through all this all this past investigation that they're presenting in documents. What's the response to all that? So we reached out to Ronald R. Gold, and that is Gregory Agnew's attorney, um, and didn't hear back from him when this information came out initially. He understandably has tried to keep all this information from getting in front of a jury. He's called it highly prejudicial and irrelevant. He noted that the time frames were a really long time ago, and also that if the Tammy Niver case uh, is included in the Martha Agnew case, it'll be like trying two cases at once. So his argument is that the Agnew case, is, I mean, sorry, the Tammy Niver case is, doesn't impact the Martha Agnew death. But I, that, I think the connection is all these police documents that show the link, right? I mean... Yeah, and that's what the judge ended up saying. And so now this information is going forward. Um, More will be hopefully coming out this summer as we head towards trial. We were expected to go to trial in July. However, based on some witness availability, because this is expected to be a very uh, lengthy case, if you weren't picking up on that from this very long series of episodes, um, but they, uh, they have a lot of witnesses and some of them can't make the July date. So now we're looking at an August one. Well, this is a, a pretty crazy case, and I can't believe you worked on it this long and covered so much. <laughs> me, me neither, but... <laughs> well, I guess that's about it. We'll wrap it up, and uh, thanks for listening. This is Gus Burns. This is Darcy Moran. And this is Michigan Crime Stories. Mm-hmm.